Damascus a few weeks ago, and he encounters a woman in the middle of the day that is there. And a couple things. One, he probably would not have gone to Jerusalem or to Samaria had he not intentionally done that. And he maybe would never have had a communication with this woman, especially this type of woman, during the middle of the day, but yet he does. And he shares with her the wonderful news about what God is doing and how we're supposed to worship him and that the Messiah has come. And he actually lets her know that he is that Messiah that she has been praying for. And he tells her things all about her and about the good news of Christ. And so she leaves there. And what she does is she heads back into town. And she began running from house to house, market to market, any place she could. And she's telling people, you've got to come out to the well. You've got to come out to Jacob's well because out there I met a man who told me everything about myself. He must be the Son of God. And the whole town... The whole town left their businesses and left their homes and they went out and listened to Jesus all because of this one woman whom they chastised in life. Jesus says it is a command that we go out and we tell the world. She understood it and she immediately went and did that. Now Romans chapter 10 verse 14, we find out he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So somebody has to go. Now, I know he uses the word preach, but it's not just about me standing up here before you all. We say, well, yeah, you're the preacher, you're preaching to us. No, what he's actually saying is you communicating, every one of you communicating the gospel message with somebody else is preaching. You are sharing your life of faith and your story of how God has interacted in your life. And you're supposed to go anywhere. Now, I know that sometimes we, we're told, don't go there. You know, I remember living around the St. Louis area. I always told, don't go into East St. Louis. Stay out of Brooklyn and Washington Park and Soljay. You don't want to go in those places. It's kind of rough, and you might, it's not good for you. And so we would be like the Samaritan area. We'd bypass it, right? That's not what Jesus says. He says, you go into those places. You go up into North County, into the north city of St. Louis, and there you share your faith. You go all the way over into Brooklyn, Illinois, right there on the river, and and you share your faith with those people. You don't avoid places simply because you feel uncomfortable about it. So it is our message that we're to take to the world around us, no matter who it is, because if we do not take it to them, they will never believe. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is telling the story about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in verse 23, he kind of summarizes it all down. But I want to kind of lay it out for you first. Jesus says, there's this, there's this gentleman, he's, he's going to have a big banquet at his place. And he's invited his friends and, and his guests are going to come. And so he sends his servant out to go ask if, if they've come. I, I didn't get your RSVP, what's happening, you know? And, and so they go out and one guy says, I just bought a field and I've got to take care of it. Got to get it ready for harvest, you know? And, I, and another guy says, I just bought some oxen and, and, and I've got to take care of them and, you know, help learn how to plow and do that. And one guy says, now I just got married. You know, so I, I'm not making any social engagements at all. So, you know, I'm going to just let my wife do whatever she wants and we'll, we'll do her things. And they're all rejecting him. The servants come back and they say, nobody wants to come to your banquet. He says, well, then you go out and you get the crippled, the lame, the poor, anybody, and you bring them in. And so they did. But they recognized that there's still a lot of room. The place isn't full yet. And so here's what he says to them in verse 23. The master said to his servant, Then go out to the highways 
to the hedges. And you compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Where are they supposed to go? Just get out on the streets. If you can do a spinning sign like you see sometimes, whatever you do, compel them, drag them, stop their car, tell them they got to come up this way to Joel Avenue 150 here, you know, and come to church, get to know Jesus. He wants them to go and find anybody and everybody and do everything they can to get them to come to this banquet. And Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we are the servants who are supposed to go into this world and compel people to come in to his kingdom. Soul winning is not a wish or a suggestion. It is Jesus' marching orders for his people. It is a command. And when someone refuses to accept his invitation, we are to go out and to drag anybody in from anywhere that we can find them because he wants to celebrate the salvation that he is offering to this world. Jesus' purpose statement for his church, we often call it the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And in that passage that that we've looked at, here's what he's telling his disciples. He says, you need to understand, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus commands us to take with us the gospel message, to share our faith with other people. But sometimes that's just not enough, is it? The second thing I think we need to look at then, if we're not going to take Jesus' command to do it, the second thing is the reality of hell necessitates it. Hell is real. We tend to ignore it and not talk about it and and not think about it much at all. And and, and we make cartoonish figures out of the devil and, and everything about it. But hell is a reality that we cannot ignore. And so listen to what Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4 says. It says, Behold... God is telling him, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son. Now listen to this. The soul who sins shall die. Now we know that that we're told that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that the wages of sin is death. We like to use those those passages of the New Testament. But even the Old Testament is speaking to us the fact that everybody who sins is going to die. But these souls that are dying, they belong to God. They are His. And we're the ones who are entrusted with the message that's going to bring them their salvation. But if we look at this, the Word of God proclaims that Jesus Christ is the only way to their salvation. Matter of fact, he says it in John chapter 14, verse 6, as he's telling his disciples what they need to do. And he says, I am the only way. I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he makes this statement. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And unless they know him, They don't have salvation. And if a person dies without knowing Jesus Christ at all, 
The only place for that lost soul is, it's not heaven, but it's hell. And the reality of hell necessitates it for you and to me to go and to introduce them to Jesus. Surfing through the internet, trying to do some research this week, and I came across this internet site called religioustolerance.org. And in it, they make reference of this. It says that, that, that the New Testament states that there are over 162 references to hell in the New Testament alone. And 70 of those references are made specifically by Jesus. And yet it's something we don't talk much about. But the hell is a reality, and we've got to understand that that something's got to be done, or that's the place where all souls who sin will be. Jesus wants to introduce us to a little bit more of that theology and that thinking about what heaven and hell is. And so he tells a story, and it's found in the book of Luke, chapter 16. And I want you, if you have a Bible, open up to this passage, because it's a powerful passage. You need to learn where it is and thumb it and make sure that people understand it, because when, when they get into these conversations, they want to think that there is no hell, that we just stop existing. Anyway, but in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is telling a story. And he begins in verse 19 by saying, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now stop and get this, get this picture that Jesus is telling. There's a, there's a fellow, he's got a very nice house. It's a gated community. And, and, and he is dressed royally with, in, in purple and fine linen. And he eats to his heart's delight. Eats, he uses the word sumptuously every day. This man never knows what hunger is. But outside his residence there at the gate, somebody takes this poor man named Lazarus whose body is covered with sores and they lay him there at the gate every day hoping that maybe if the food falls off the table of this rich man that maybe he might get the scraps to have something to eat that day. It's quite a vivid picture that Jesus is laying out. But then he goes on and he says this, this poor man, he died and he was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, all of a sudden, the, the whole framework of the story has just shifted, hasn't it? The rich man is no longer enjoying the pleasures of life. He is tormented day and night in Hades. And this man who had just, I mean, even the dogs came and licked his wounds. I mean, how, how grotesque can this fellow be in life? And Jesus gives us the picture that now he is there in the bosom of Abraham and the beautiful paradise, and the other guy is tormented daily. And this rich man notices something. So let's go on. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now in verse 24 he says, And he calls out, 
Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. How horrid is that? He is tormented so much that all he wants is just with the tip of a finger, just dip your finger in some water and bring me that drop. Have you ever been that thirsty? Just a drop. That's all, that's all I ask. It's just a drop. But what does Abraham respond to him? It's not what we would think. He doesn't send Lazarus to go do that. But Abraham says in verse 25, Child, remember that in your lifetime received good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. And now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And none may cross from there to us. And you get this? As Jesus is trying to get this us to understand there is a separation after death from people who are celebrating life more than they've ever enjoyed before with those who are in total anguish and despair because of the torment of Hades and hell. And there is no way for those two to interact and to, to help each other. It's just not going to happen. So he responds in verse 27. But I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that, that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, But no, Father Abraham, but... but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And you know what? Someone did rise from the dead, and they did not believe him. And that man's name was Lazarus. Maybe not this Lazarus, but there was a friend of Jesus called Lazarus who lived in Bethany. And he was dead four days when Jesus called him forth out of the tomb. Can you imagine knowing that you have buried this guy and he's been in the tomb, sealed up for four days, and surely by now he stinketh. And yet he comes back out of that tomb alive and whole with the ability to communicate life after death and sharing with people the wonders of what Jesus has just done for him. And yet people refuse to believe him. And the Pharisees were furious with Lazarus and they tried to find a ways to shut him up as well. But there was another man who rose from the dead, Jesus Jesus, and yet even today, people will not believe. Jesus says, you've got to understand this. Now is the time to make a difference because then it is too late. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, Paul, John is given this vision by God to see what heaven is going to be like. And so he has this beautiful thing as he's beginning to wrap up that story there in Revelation. 
He says, and I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found in them for him. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name... If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's a lot of books that have been written, movies that have been made, stories have been told about life after death experiences, and it's always the wondrous things of, of there's, there's this brilliant bright light in a tunnel and, and being able to see and hear the voice of Jesus and our loved ones, our father was there, our mother was there, our sister, our baby was there, all these people that we've loved and have gone on before us and they're there and they're welcoming us in and just the warmth and, and everything about it. And we love to hear that story, but often we don't hear the other story. And in 1979, a book was written, and it was published by Dr. Maurice Rawlings. Now, Dr. Maurice Rawlings wrote this book entitled Beyond Death's Door. He was a specialist in internal medicine and cardiovascular disease, and he has resuscitated himself personally, resuscitated many people who had been clinically dead on his table. Dr. Rawlings, he was a devout atheist. And he considered all religion, in his words, hocus-pocus, and death nothing more than just a painless extinction. So in other words, just simply when you die, you die. There's nothing left. That's it. When you cut the tree down, it's gone. That's, it's gone. When the life dis- it just disappears, it's, that's it. There's no more. And he would not put any trust or faith in the fact that there might be a life after death. And I'm sure he'd probably heard these wonderful stories of those who came back speaking about all the joy of heaven. But in 1977, something happened to him. And it brought a dramatic change in his philosophy about life. He's resuscitating a man terrified and screaming, descending into the flames of hell, as he tells us in his book. And he said this, each time he regained a heartbeat and respiration... The patient screamed, I am in hell. And he was terrified and he pleaded with me to help him, he says. And I was scared to death. And then I noticed a genuinely alarmed look on his face. He had a terrified look, worse than the expression seen in death. This patient had a grotesque grimace expressing sheer horror his pupils were dilated and he was perspiring and trembling and he looked as if his hair was on end and then still another strange thing happened dr rawlings said the man said don't you understand i am in hell don't let me go back to hell 
He said the man was serious. And it finally occurred to me that he was indeed in trouble. He was in a panic like I had never seen before. And Dr. Rawlings wrote these words. He says, no one, no one who could have heard his screams and saw the look of terror on his face could doubt for a single minute that he was actually in a place called hell. You see, hell is real. And the reality of it necessitates that we share the gospel message with the world around us so they don't end up there. It's not only does Jesus command it and hell necessitate it, but Christian love demands it as well. Listen, we're trying to win souls for Jesus Christ, and because He created them and He loves them and He died for them, that they should not end up in this place. I think it is really the heartbeat of God. For the moment somebody puts their faith and their trust in Him, we're told that all heaven celebrates and the angels rejoice when one person surrenders their life to Christ and they put their faith in Him. And that just makes God's heart explode with joy. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter is trying to explain this to the church when he says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so Paul also tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, that it is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Therefore, that is why John 3.16 is so important to us when we put our faith there, because we know that God, He so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. I read this statement, and I think it really concerns me about the church today. Someone made this statement. They said, we have stopped, this is the church, we have stopped caring about the lost and being a witness for Jesus and care only about self. We have brought self into the church and glorified and exalted it. We have brought covetousness into the church and sanctified it. And it is causing the unsaved to mock and ridicule the church. God has called us to lay down our lives, not to pick them up. He has called us to serve and not to demand to be served. But listen to this last statement. And, and I'm, 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 really, I'm really torn by it. Because this individual says that most people go to church so God can serve them. Well, I didn't get anything out of that sermon today, preacher. That song service just didn't meet what I I wanted to do. You know, they never meet my needs. They never, the church doesn't do. That is not what the church is about. Granted, that is the overflow of the cup of joy that comes upon us, and we receive the blessings that way. But it is not that we come to church to be served. We come to church to serve one another and to serve Christ. 
But our world has it backwards. They believe that we go to church so that God can serve our needs. We no longer have a heart for mission to which we have been called to. We no longer are soul conscious. We weep over scenes of, 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 of all the things that go on that Hollywood movies make that, that just <clears throat> we cry about this and about that. And yet we watch our neighbors every day take one step closer to hell because we're not willing to knock on their door, to call them on our phone, to stop them in the grocery store or wherever it is and to share our faith with them. <clears throat> Charles Todd was a one of the world's best cricket players from what I've gathered in my study. But he's also a missionary. And one of the statements that he made is just this brief little statement that's taken out of a really long poem that he's made, but it, it is so profound. And in it that he says this, he says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And listen to that. You've only got one opportunity to live. And it's going to be over. But the only thing that is going to be eternal is what you have done for Jesus. And that is trying to introduce people to their salvation in Him. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. We are told that, this, that the love of Christ controls, one translation says, compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might not no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We live today so that other people have an opportunity. Apostle Paul says, you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Well, what's he mean by that? What he's saying is the only reason I'm still living is because Jesus wants me here for your benefit, not mine. Because for me to die, I would gain the glories of heaven. I'd rather die and go to heaven. Why is it that we don't die once we first come out of our baptismal waters and we go right to heaven right then? Wouldn't that be wonderful? No longer have to put up with this, but no. He leaves us in this world saved and redeemed and purified and sanctified and made whole and, and holy so that we can influence other people that they can be cleansed. Charles Spurgeon, <clears throat> he paints this great mental picture of how our concern and our love for the lost ought to be. Listen what he says. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. In other words, if people want to go to hell, they got to go through me. They've got to go through you. Let them jump over you to get there. Let them drag you trying to save them. You understand what he is? It's like snatching them from the fire. Not letting them go in there. Trying to keep them from, from living a life that's going to destroy them forevermore. 
And yet too often we step aside and say, well, if they want to go there, let them go. But that's not what he calls us to. He calls us to get in their way, to be the obstacle that's going to keep them from going to hell. And you and I have got to do that. Listen, in, in Jude, chapter tw- Jude, verse 22 and 23, this is the brother of Jesus who's writing to the church. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Sometimes I think we got our God backwards. If someone were to offer you $1,000 every time you shared your faith with somebody else, would you do it? How much could you make today? He's wanting to offer you a lot more than $1,000. He's willing to offer you the riches of heaven. Life that's everlasting. A seat at the throne of God right there with Him. Forget about that throne. Sit on His lap. Let your Father wrap His arms around you. That would be the most embracing thing we could ever experience. And yet, we let people stay lost. Gypsy Smith wrote a book called The Beauty of Jesus. And in it, he told the story about Peter Apples. He was a man during the Civil War. He went into the enemy's territory, and he really wasn't much of a soldier. All he knew was when the the commanding officer said, charge, he was supposed to go. And the time came, and the battle was heated, and finally the officer yells, charge. And they begin to charge, and the battle begins getting louder and louder. and, And Peter Apples did not hear his officer shout, retreat, come back retreat and so he kept running through that that middle section of no man's land and he ended up diving into a ditch on the other side and there he found enemies in that ditch and he immediately grabbed one by the scruff of the neck and started dragging him out of the ditch and back to his side the other guys are trying to get a shot at him but they can't because every time they think they're going to get a shot their comrade their soldier is right in the way and they weren't going to shoot him And he drug him all the way back across no man's land and he gave him to his commanding officer. And this was a conversation that took place. The officer looked at him and took a deep breath and he said, where in the world did you get him? And his response was, I got him over there in the ditch. There's plenty of them over there and if you all had wanted one, you could have one too. Jesus says this in John chapter 4, verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. Rob, if you all want to come. All you've got to do is go over there and get one. You can have one too. Do you want one? Save one. Snatch them from the fires of hell.
We've got to get a fresh start with our mission in this church because there's a world around us, people living on this street just down here that are dying and they're going to hell because you and I have not stopped at their doors and said we want to share the gospel message with you. There are people in your household, in your family, who are lost. It might be your grandfather or your child. What is it going to take to get us motivated. I mean, after all, Jesus commands us. Hell necessitates that we share it. And finally, the love that he has put in us, it compels us to do this. When is it going to do for us to go out and share this message with the world around us? Because they are lost and they are going to hell if we don't do something about it. Can you, this week, talk with one person? One person. Or are they not worth it? That's all we've got to do. Why don't you stand? We'll sing together. Will you decide to be obedient to Christ and to share your faith? To not let another day go by when that person that you love might never come to salvation. It's your choice.